Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. What an honor to be together again. Amen. We're centering our heart, our mind around the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that is the compass of our soul. We're not here marking time. We're not here because we're obligated to be here. But we're here tonight because we are in a relationship with the Lord. His Word, we understand His Word to be the very foundation of our lives. I want to ask you to join me in the book of Genesis. Spoke a little bit about this last Wednesday night. I want to talk about a man by the name of Noah one more time. I want to talk about a, a, a word. I want to talk about something tonight that I think is very vital in our relationship with God. I believe God is calling people like never before to commit ourselves to his word and his way. There's just something about commitment. There's something about signing on and tethering ourselves to a cause. That's why churches are in existence today. That's why churches, churches have survived decades of time, highs and lows, is because people were committed to the cause. They came when they didn't feel like it. They stayed faithful when everything in their life was pulling them in another direction, but they stayed committed to the Word of God and to the cause of God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13. The Scripture said, And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14, the scripture says, And make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms thou shalt make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. We are living in an hour where people are wanting to commit themselves to things less and less. I read an article a few years ago that uh, sparked my attention. It has been something I've thought about many, many times. I mentioned it a few times here and other places. But I read an article about younger couples, younger married couples, that have no desire to commit themselves to things like a mortgage. They don't want to own a home. They just want to rent or lease an apartment. And Don't fall out with me. I'm going somewhere if you're renting or leasing an apartment. That is just the mindset, not of just a few, but the mindset of an entire culture. The article went on to say that the, the reason, the reasoning behind this in general was that they did not want to be tethered down to just one area or one city or even one portion of the country. But they wanted to spend a few years here, a few years there, and go from place to place to place. There's nothing sinister about that or nothing sinful about that. But they didn't want to be tethered down with something like a mortgage because they wanted the option to be able to leave with a much shorter runway. 
Now, the very idea of this is not evil at all, but I just want to share with you some things that came to my mind. You know, in a way, it almost seems whimsical. We could just live here and work here a little while, and then we can move over here and live there and work there a while, and then we could move somewhere and live there and work there a while. But at the end of the day, there is a, there's a missing element. At the end of the day, there is something that is far more than just someone saying, I don't want to commit to a mortgage or I don't want to recommit to that. In the, at the end of the day, we're also saying without saying that I don't want to commit myself to a community. I don't want to commit myself to a city or I don't even want to commit myself to a state. Now, I understand that from our perspective, uh, the majority of us that are represented here tonight, uh, even if you don't live in a direct rural area, you still do not live in a metropolitan area. And so we know that there are people that have been a part of our community as long as we have been around. And there is something to be said about, oh, Mr. So-and-so that's been running the hardware store or the barbershop or this or that. Uh, to the locals, I don't want to leave anybody out, but to the locals, we grew up knowing Mr. Bennett at the Jiffy store. And so he didn't announce that I'm a foundational part of this community, but just by being there every day, he became a foundational part of the community. And so when people refuse to commit themselves to things, it can often erode the very foundation of that on which, of which we're trying to build. Oftentimes, the inability to commit to things can even erode the foundation of marriages and families and the list goes on and on. And if we're not careful, that same lack of commitment can bleed into the church where we don't want to be committed. We want to be a part of it, but we want to be tethered loosely enough that if, if we want to participate in something, we can, but if we don't want to, we, we can do that as well. We're just loosely committed. I remember talking to a pastor several years ago, a pastor friend of mine who somewhat felt a little bit intimidated by the things that it seemed he had not accomplished in the life and the ministry of their church. And so he was comparing himself, as we often do, to other people and other things. And so comparatively speaking, he said, I have not done this, and we as a church have not done that. And, and uh, he wasn't just on a sad Sam journey, but he was just speaking factually and in uh, looking over the life and the ministry of his ministry in their church. And then in a little while, he just summarized his feelings up. He said, but I'll tell you what I did do. He said, and he named how many years ago. It had been a substantial number of years ago. He said, we came to this city and we founded this church and we stayed. We stayed. We just, we just committed ourselves to a cause. And so maybe against the backdrop of what other people have done. It doesn't seem like we have done a lot. And he wasn't trying to excuse himself in any fashion. I hope you get the gist of the message. It was just something he was saying, I've committed myself to this city. I've made a covenant with the land. I've made a covenant with this people. And so if we're not careful, we can, we can just try to loosely associate ourselves to things and never really be a part of anything at the end of the day. I think there's an underlying principle that we cannot afford to forget, and that is the fact that God's favor upon all of our lives is directly connected to the level of commitment that we have made to him. 
I mentioned a few services ago, or maybe the last service, that God can only move in the area of our life that we've created for him to move in or work in. Amen. We we invite somebody into our house, we can only say come in if there's room to come in. There has to be room to come in. There has to be more than just a path to get from point A to point B, but there, there has to be a room. There has to be room and the spirit of welcome there. And so last Wednesday night we talked about Noah, and, and, uh, and tonight I, I do want to just carry that on. Noah, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind, if we just put ourselves into the shoes, into the framework of Noah, that his faith had to be stretched at some point in all of this beyond the telling. His life had been dedicated, the majority of his life had been dedicated to a construction project that was evermore an undertaking. It had taken years. So we think about the ark and all of, all of the dimensions of the ark that are given to us in Scripture. And we think about what a task that would have been if all the lumber had just been there waiting for him to put it together. If everything had just been in place, it would have still been an overwhelming task. But when we consider that the trees had to be felled and then cut into usable lumber, it just helped to bring into perspective, or it helps to bring into perspective uh, somewhat of the, the task that was before him. On, um, on the trip that I made to Guatemala several years ago with our, some of our men that were building the building there, and um, you know, we're just used to, if you need a 2 by 12 you just go to the Lowe's and you get a 2 by 12 but it wasn't quite this way. If you needed a 2 by 12 they cut it out of some of the lumber that was there. It was intriguing to, to make that connection. And so as I read this story again last night and today, I, I began to think about that, that it was an overwhelming task because Noah most absolutely started from nothing. And so if it was to be, he had to help it come into being and so in the middle of this field eventually stood a huge vessel it had to be an impressive sight the one thing however that was absent was a body of water (laughs) maybe there were days he wondered did I really hear from God was this really God and am I really doing the right thing from what we can tell in scripture there was never any communication after God initially instructed him until the moment that he told him to get in Despite any doubt that he may have had, it seems apparent to me that the doubt he would have had was only self-doubt and he never doubted God because he stayed committed to to the task at hand. I think most of us are familiar with the story of Noah and the ark, but have we really given serious consideration to the thought of what Noah and his family really accomplished, the footprint that they genuinely left? What God asked Noah to do is difficult, really, I would think even impossible for us to comprehend. Noah and his family built by hand a a vessel, a floating vessel, a boat, a ship, whatever you want to refer to it, that was one and a half times the length of a football field. They did it themselves. This was an undertaking of a lifetime, not a summer project, not a weekend project, amen, but a project that was a commitment of a lifetime. And so I believe that when we look at what God did through the hands of Noah, through the the discipline of Noah, we can understand one thing, and that is if we're going to have the favor of God upon our lives, it's going to take commitment on our part. Now, commitment is not a fun word. 
commitment can seem warm and fuzzy at first, but it's not a fun word in the long term because there's days that the commitments that we make gnaw into our flesh. They gnaw into our wallet. They gnaw into our calendar. They gnaw into every aspect of our lives. And so it's not always easy and it's not always fun. It is, it, it, it's, it's easy to like something on social media. You notice that? It's, it's just a second. You can just touch the like button and, and uh, now there's all sorts of levels of like that you can have there. And, and, and we can seemingly connect ourselves to a cause. But that's a lot different than really being committed on the other side of that. It's another thing entirely to commit yourself because commitment always comes with a cost. Yes, Noah did find grace in the eyes of God, but the favor that was upon Noah's life came at a high price. God shared with Noah his disappointment. We talked about this last Wednesday night. God found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And, and it was God Almighty himself that shared with Noah his overall disappointment with humanity at large. He warned Noah of the coming judgment. That's what kind of relationship he had. But when God told Noah about the impending destruction of the world, he also gave him and him alone a plan to save his family. But in order... For Noah to rescue his wife and his children, he had to commit himself to a plan that was literally going to take decades of intensive labor on his part. Days of great accomplishment and days where the accomplishments weren't so great. And although God had asked of Noah something that was going to take years of labor, God did not send him into this without a plan. Sometimes we have had the Lord lay on our heart things that he is calling us to do. And in our flesh we have wondered how am I ever going to be able to accomplish that. But I will promise you that God will not call you and then fail to equip you. Somehow if it's day by day, one moment at a time, God will give us the words. God will give us the wisdom that we need. In Genesis 6, we read a, a, a brief summary of the instructions that God gave to Noah. But even though this is just a summary, it is very specific in its details. God didn't simply tell Noah, go build a big boat and try to leave enough room to get all the animals on. But Noah was given exact dimensions for the length, the width, the height for this unique vessel. God did not leave him to his own devices, but he said, build it out of this wood. Pitch it within, without this many stories, this door, this window. He told him how to divide the inner space. God told him every how together and which animals together together. When God asked Noah to commit to something this significant, he gave Noah instructions that were in proportion to the task at hand. So God is not going to call us to something small and then not give us details. And God's not going to call us to something large without giving us the details. I believe that God was enacting a rescue plan. And I'm going to tell you that salvation in the case of Noah and his family and salvation in 2020, it still requires clear and concise instructions from God. Amen. It's not every man to his own desires. It's not whatever we think is, feels good, we just go after that. But the plan of salvation is specific and we must follow it in detail. Like Noah, 
I believe that we have been given a rescue plan. I believe that God has prepared the church and God has prepared the world, whosoever will. Amen. The heaven is not just for an exclusive few. Heaven is not for a select group of people, but whosoever will. But here is the plan. But here is the plan. God brought judgment on the ancient world through destruction by water, but he saved a righteous family with a plan of action. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and 10, we are warned that God will bring judgment on the world, not with water this time, but this time it will be with fire. But we don't have to live in fear because God has also given us specific instructions how we can avoid all of that. Amen. We are living in the last days, I believe, that Simon Peter warned us about in his epistles. On the day of Pentecost, he preached to the masses and he said this, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And I believe that when we commit to the new plan, to the New Testament plan of salvation in the book of Acts chapter 2 and 38. And when we live a life of obedience in accordance to the word of God, we too are going to find favor in our lives and in our family just like Noah found in his life and for his family. The second principle I think that we can observe in, in this scripture uh, from Noah's dedication of the ark is that when we commit to our when we commit to something, I mean it is going to cost us something. But for Noah, the building of the ark was the salvation of his family. Yes, it comes with a cost, and yes, there is work involved. Yes, it is a daily task, not just something we think about every now and then. Now, the scripture doesn't really tell us specifically how long it took Noah to build the ark. But we can surmise from Scripture, I think, pretty accurately and get at least a snapshot. The Bible says in Genesis 5 and 32 that when this began, that Noah was 500 years old. We also know in Genesis 7 and 11 that he was 600 when the flood came. Now, sometime in that century, sometime in that 100 years, he was warned by God of the impending flood and instructed to build this ark. So it's not a big stretch for us to think that Noah took the majority of that 100 years to carry out this construction project. This was no weekend project. This was no just a few months and we'll have this nailed down, not even a few years and we'll have this nailed down, but it was a commitment beyond anything we can ever think or imagine. However, time was not the only cost associated with the commitment of Noah because building the ark was backbreaking work at best. The opening description of this text only skims the surface of how much effort it would have taken to follow God's plan of action specifically. Noah was going to need space to build this. He was going to need an extremely large supply of lumber. He was going to need perhaps even thousands of gallons of pitch to seal this vessel within and without. And so for a vessel this large, he was also, it only makes stands the reason, he was going to need structure around this vessel to hold it upright until the waters come along. And so when we think about it in that context, you know, I'm sure many here have been in building projects, some larger than others, but it always, it always involves more. We've done a few little renovations around our house through the years and 
And so it starts out with a simple idea, and then the day that we pull the trigger, and it just seems like a bomb went off. <laughs> you struggle to find the refrigerator before it's done. And so we can only imagine the massive undertaking this would have been. All the materials, as I mentioned earlier, had to be gathered, but it had to be prepared by hand. Now, we don't know, of course, if it was just Noah and his sons by themselves or if they, in fact, hired people to help them. But it really is irrelevant because a project of this size, even with many hands, was still a massive undertaking. It would have been a full-time job, and we know at least Noah was the overseer. He was responsible for it all. And so when you think about the overall price, just the economic price of a project would have been enormous. But there were costs to Noah's commitment that you could never calculate in numbers. Yes, you can figure up the number of hours you would work a day and the number of days you would work a week uh, and the number of weeks you would work a year, on and on and on. Amen. But, but there are other things that Noah had to spend in order to obey God. There were other things that Noah had to lay on the line in order to obey what God had asked him to do. I think one of the things that Noah had to place on the line was his reputation and what people in the community thought about him. No one had ever seen rain, what he's talking about. No one had, could comprehend a flood. And what Noah was working on wasn't just something he was working on in his shop behind his house. <laughs> This was for the world to see. And this was for the world to mock. And this was for the world to make fun. And this was for Noah had positioned himself to be a part, the tagline of every joke that come along. You imagine how many Noah jokes there were? <laughs> Noah wasn't working on something in secret. You can't hide a project this massive that takes decades to build. 2 Peter 2 and 5 describes Noah as the preacher of righteousness. I said last Wednesday night, we don't know if he had a pulpit, so to speak, and he was preaching righteousness or if it was just the life he lived every day that preached a message of righteousness. But nevertheless, whether he was behind a stand or whether he was living it every day, I believe that he was warning his community. He was warning his world that there is an impending flood and you must be ready. In Matthew 24, 38, Jesus mentioned that right up to the day, despite all of the righteousness, despite every day that he lived righteously and the message that his life proclaimed, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 38, that right up to the day that Noah and his family entered the ark, that people all around them continued to eat, drink, and be merry. Amen. My, my. And I believe that that was the description of the end time. And I think it will be no less than that the very, as the very closing hours of the church begins to grope upon us. Amen. That people will still be ignoring the, the appeal to come to the house of God, to the altar of God, to a place of repentance, to a place of salvation. At best, Noah was ignored and shunned by those around him. However, like Noah, I believe that God has called the church to be different and to live different, to look different, to talk different, to walk different, to respond different. 
I don't think the church in this hour, even when we're facing what we're facing, I'm not saying that we should throw caution to the wind, not suggesting that at all, but I don't believe that we should also be succumbed to fear. Amen. I don't think that we should bow ourselves in the face of, of uncertainty. Amen. And, and crawl into a corner. I've said it. Again and again and again. We are not a part of the church anemic, but we're part of the church triumphant. Amen. I pray, I pray that God will help us and strengthen us this very hour. Yes, there are people that don't understand the choices that we make. Absolutely. But I believe that for those who come to the Lord as adults, certainly their lifestyle makes a radical change. People around them are wondering where you were Friday night. They're wondering why you're not hanging around the camp, same campfires that you used to hang around, why your lifestyle has shifted and changed. And maybe even some of our friends or former friends start to ridicule and point fingers and, and, uh, and, and the list goes on and on. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you don't no longer partake of the activities that you used to partake of. And sometimes they can mock. Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange? I've often said that you don't need a lid on a crab to keep crabs in. All you need is just another crab. Because every time one would save himself, the other will pull him down. And that is the mentality of the world is that we all want to be down. We all want to be down together. Amen. But remember, amen, when we stand before God face to face, when the rain starts coming, when, the, when, the, when this thing starts wrapping up, amen, I want to know in that hour that I have made my peace, call, and election sure. It won't matter what they said. It won't matter how many fingers were pointing. It won't matter how much ridicule was coming my way. I want to make my peace, call, and election sure. <laughs> Commitment to God does require our time, our labor, our money, and, and possibly our social standing but when God calls us to commit to him, he expects everything that we have. The principle was not only present in the life of Noah, but I believe it's repeated in the covenant that God enacted with Moses and the children of Israel. You're familiar, perhaps, many of you with Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, but if you're not, I want to read it tonight. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy might, with every fiber that you have. I'm gonna tell you, it does my heart good when people that have lived a lifetime of sin say to me, preacher, I gave the devil everything I had. I never asked how much, how long, how deep, how wide, but whatever the devil wanted of me, I gave that to him. And so when I come to the house of God, I serve the enemy hard. I wanna serve God hard. I wanna serve God with every that I have I'm not going to ask what is this going to cost how long will this last how much will this take of me I'm going to give everything I believe God expects us to give everything we can't partially commit to things because that's not commitment at all amen trying to serve God without full commitment is a very very miserable experience I know I've mentioned him several times, and pardon me, I realize there's more than just three or four Bible characters, but in 1 Kings 18, I'll talk about Elijah again. I think this is about six services in a row. Please don't correct me, because then I'll know you've been counting too. But Elijah rebuked 
He rebuked those prophets of Baal. He, he rebuked the Israelites on Mount Carmel because of their indecisiveness between God and Baal. It's a very miserable thing to be in the valley of decision. Jesus, Jesus warned his listeners about the, the impossibility of serving two masters. It can't be done. It can't be done. And so we have to be all in, fully committed. Another principle we learn from Noah's faithfulness to God is that commitment certainly leads to the blessing and the favor of God, the reward of God. Don't be surprised when faithful people are blessed. Because God just puts his hand on our lives. They may not live in the biggest house on the block. May not drive the most expensive car in town. They may not have the biggest bank account down at the, down at the local bank. But don't be surprised when the people of God are blessed by God because God has just put his hand of faithfulness upon them. For Noah, his blessings were many, but the greatest blessing of all was salvation. Although God was going to destroy the world, he made special provision for Noah. Think about that. God was going to destroy the whole earth and everything in it. But he said, but Noah, but Noah found grace. And so Noah had special provision by God made for him. Noah's commitment to God didn't start when he started building the ark. No, his, his faithfulness started way, way, way back. His commitment to God prior to all of this, that's what saved him. Even though God had asked of Noah to do something incredibly challenging, God's favor or his blessing was with him and on him throughout this entire process. When the ark was completed and it was time to load the animals, Noah did not have to leave his station to go get those animals and round them up. Miraculously, the voice of God somehow spoke and moved. I'm going to just tell you that one of the most amazing parts of this story. I get felling the timber and cutting it all that out, even though I've never done it. I can just only imagine what that is. I don't live, I've never done it, but I don't live in a vacuum. I, but the most incredible thing of this whole story is the fact that God would move on nature and change their very the nature of these animals, that God would change their nature and God would just commission them to do what is completely against everything that's in them. Some of you in this room tonight, I know, have been challenged with loading animals. And unless they're highly trained, they just don't want to do that because that's not in them. They want to be free and roam around. That's how God created them. All of a sudden, we want to put them in a trailer and haul them off to butcher, and we wonder why they've got a problem with that. <laughs> We're just trying to invite them to breakfast <laughs> or to dinner. <laughs> but God moved on them, changed their nature. And they came on in formation. God is not going to ask you to do something and then not provide a means to do it. There may have been times that Noah didn't have a lot of time to dedicate a lot of thought into how we're going to get these animals. But when the time came, the Lord said, I'll take care of this. And he just began to move on them. I'm not sure how it all worked, but maybe as they were wrapping up the pitching process, he just looked up and some elephants are standing there. I'll let you into my mind just a little bit. That's as far as we're going. 
But somehow or another, the Lord just moved on the nature and they began to load. Miraculously, the animals came to Noah. Noah did not have to go to them. And they entered the ark. After seven days of loading animals and making final preparations, God shut to the door. I wonder if Noah was thinking, man, this, I don't know how we're going to close this. But God said, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of this. Because when God asks us to do something, even when it's big, and we commit to it, he'll get on board with us. God's blessings and reward continue to follow Noah after the flood. When the ark came to rest on dry land, God told Noah to get out of the boat, repopulate the earth, and then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he gave them dominion over the, all the animal kingdom. And then, as an added benefit and bonus that God never mentioned, he gave Noah length of life. According to Genesis 9 and 28, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Now, just think about that. Additional blessing that... It could have all been over and when they ended and they walked off the ark, God could have said, thank you, Noah. Good day. But God in his infinite mercy said, I want you to see the fruit of your labor. Amen. Noah was able to see the earth repopulate. He was able to see the animals populate. He was able to see his own family grow the grace of God that just goes beyond our ability to measure. Noah was the only person that God asked to build a a vessel of this sort to save his family and then animals from a worldwide flood. However, what we do see from the life of Noah is is that God, even though that same story has never been replicated, what has been replicated time and time again is that when people sign on and commit themselves to the cause of God, God puts his hand of blessing upon their lives. Amen. Like Noah, God may have to interrupt the normal experience of our life and ask in order to ask us to do something extraordinary. But if we're like Noah and we commit to what God has asked, he will give us the instructions. He'll walk with us through that journey and he'll grant us the favor that we need to accomplish the job. Some of us certainly... I think to a degree, perhaps all of us have been asked to do things that we thought were so far beyond our ability. But if we just step by faith into what God has called us to do, He has never let us down. Never. Amen. That is the bottom line of the bottom line. God will be there always on time. I'll ask our musicians to come. I'm going to rush to the New Testament for just a moment. Because I want to tie this together before we conclude. When we go to the New Testament into the book of Acts, we're introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius who was a, a Roman military officer. And his responsibility, just at least a portion of his responsibilities was to enforce Roman law and to keep the area to which he was assigned or stationed. However, there was a small sect of Jews that had created somewhat of a stir, if you please, for this Roman Empire. There was this New Testament church where strange and unorthodox things were unfolding. Despite the fact that Cornelius was charged with keeping order, and despite the fact that these people were doing something that was 
contrary to the culture of the day, even somewhat to the law of the day, Cornelius somehow found this strange sect of people appealing. Something about them, something about the spirit of these people appealed to the nature of Cornelius. Now he was not a Jew and so therefore he would not have been allowed to be a part of their formal worship services. But he respected their beliefs even though he really was looking at this from afar. But one day while he was in prayer, and I believe that this was a man that even started praying to their God. And one day while he was in prayer, something new and something very, very strange and unexpected happened. Suddenly, without warning, there was what he reckoned to be a man in bright clothes standing close to him and calling him by name. What in the world could be happening? This proved to be an angel that the Lord had sent to him and this angel said to him that God has heard your prayers. He has seen your alms. He has seen that that you've offered up. And God is here to honor your commitment. He instructed him, send, send men to Joppa. And when you get to Joppa, you're going to find a man surnamed Peter. He's going to be staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. In an instant, the messenger was gone, but not the message. <laughs> And Cornelius summoned his servants and he repeated to them the instructions that the angel had given him. Then he gathered his family together and he shared with them about this experience. Four days later, now I realize that's not a hundred years or not decades that Noah spent, but four days he kept this experience fresh in his heart. Four days later, his servants returned and, and as they went inside, Simon Peter began to address this group and Cornelius recounted to him this angelic visit that had happened to him days before and then Peter and his, and, and, and Peter and his household, now they're standing here waiting for instructions. They're waiting for what should happen next. And the Bible says that while Peter began to preach, the Holy Ghost fell on them. They began to speak with other tongues just like they did in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And so when others tried to discount this experience, they said, how can we discount this experience when this is the same thing that happened in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Amen. They were shocked. Simon Peter, all those were with them. They were shocked that this Gentile group would be speaking in other tongues just like they did on the day of Pentecost. But here, understand this, that Cornelius, even though he understood very little about this, he had committed himself to what he did know. Can I tell you tonight that my admonition for years has been this to people. If you'll just walk in the light that you have, God will give you more light. Commit yourself to what the Lord has already did. What, commit yourself to what the Lord has already unfolded in our lives. And if we will just walk in that, God will give us more light. Let's stand together, shall we? I believe that Noah and Cornelius both demonstrate that when we commit ourselves to God and we commit ourselves to his cause, that he'll step into our life and he'll make room. He'll provide for us. Cornelius didn't have the full revelation of who God was, but he stayed committed to what he knew. Amen. God is still speaking. I want to encourage you. God is still speaking. 
and mankind is still listening and man is still responding. I know sometimes we get discouraged and even frustrated when we invite people to church or we invite people to this or that and we'll be there, we'll be there and then the day comes and they're not here and we think nobody wants this. It was so easy for the devil to whisper that in our ears. Nobody wants God today. Nobody, can I tell you, that is a lie. Oh, what a lie. Oh, what a lie. The enemy's trying to propagate in this world. But the Spirit of God is still speaking. <laughs> my, my, my. And our world is filled with men like, and women like Cornelius. I don't, we're not in a pet rally tonight. My job is not to rah-rah you into trying to believe something that is not true. My responsibility is here tonight to declare the truth. And I declare to you that right now, this very hour, there is a Cornelius somewhere that's praying. Amen. There is a Cornelius that is believing. There is a Cornelius that is hungry. And God can still move on both sides of that equation. I didn't take a lot of time tonight, but while God was dealing with Cornelius, God was also speaking to Simon Peter. And while God was trying to pry Cornelius out of his world, he was also trying to pry Simon Peter out of his world. And when they pried themselves out of their comfort zone, God did some incredible things. And so my responsibility tonight is to help us to pry ourselves out of our comfort zone and be committed to what the Spirit of God teaches us and tells us. And when we do, on the other end, there's a hungry heart that really wants to hear it. Amen. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little reticent tonight, but I just feel in my spirit. You know, the Bible talks about casting our pearl before the swine. This message is too valuable for us to keep carting it to people who discard it and trample it underfoot and throw it away. There's someone. I'm not suggesting we would ever stop praying or believing for people but I'm going to tell you the Bible said to the disciples if you go to a city and they won't hear you shake the dust amen he didn't say fold your Bible and put it on eBay he said just shake the dust go find another city there's somebody there's somebody that wants it he did not many miracles in some places because people didn't believe in the land of Gadara only one man could be touched because everybody else ran him out of town. But can I tell you, that's not the testimony everywhere. There were people that pressed through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. There were those that pressed themselves because they wanted God. They wanted him to be in their midst. And so I tell you today, let's be committed. Let's be committed to the cause of the Lord. Let's magnify him. Can we magnify him today in Jesus' name? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website again thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family <laughs>